0: as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord." Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one another of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? No, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. May the Lord bless our reading and hearing of his word this morning. Let's seek his blessing in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray that by your spirit you would impress this word upon our hearts, that you would open and unstop our ears, that we would be attentive to what the spirit has to say to the church that this word may be a reminder to us of how we ought to take the measure and have regard for those who are called, even as our pastor called, to be a steward of the mysteries of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as is often the case... In the Apostle Paul's letters to the churches in the New Testament, there is a circumstance, there is an occasion, possibly even a problem, in this case, a problem, in the church to whom his letter is written. He doesn't preach to the choir, he speaks a word that is a word in season. Now, what was the problem? What was the occasion? Well, it seems that in the Corinthian church, there was a bit of rivalry, not so much among among Apollos, Peter, the Apostle Paul, and others who ministered the word of God in their midst, but within and among the members of the congregation regarding, you might say, who of them is the greatest. They were taking the measure of their preachers by what the Apostle describes as foolishness, or worldly wisdom. There was a faction in the church who said, we love Apollos, he's our man. That's a preacher after my desire. Others were saying, no, not Apollos, Peter, he's the one. We are of the faction in the congregation that prefers Peter to Apollos. Others, very impressively so, said, well, we're followers of Christ. There was a division in the congregation occasioned by their estimation or their taking the measure of their preachers. Now, I think that's still true today. I read an article not many years ago by Carl Truman entitled The Cult of Celebrity. And he lamented the fact that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we measure our pastors by worldly standards. Now, at this season of your life as a congregation, brothers and sisters, I'm sure you're giving your thoughts over to your beloved pastor, Pastor Joling. And you're taking something of what might be called an assessment, a measure of why it is that you care for him and what it is in him that you regard as something for which to give thanks. So this is a word in season. It reminds you of something that your pastor told you when he began his work, embarked upon it by God's grace and calling some years ago. And it is this. You should regard your pastor as a servant of Christ, and as a steward of the mysteries. That should be the paramount template or litmus test by which you take his measure, if you take it at all. Now, you know how it is with preachers. My father used to say that his dad, who was a Dutch immigrant, Uh, In the Dutch, they had some kind of a saying to the effect that the minister is an itching post. You know how it is? Horses used to be tied up at the, the shop or wherever you were going, and they would sometimes use the post as something to scratch their itch. Well, that can be the case also in congregations. It's also true of congregations that they not only enjoy sometimes what is called roast beef as their preferred dinner menu, but something called roast preacher. I have a colleague who told me a story once of a parishioner who was in the local church cafe overhearing the conversation of four men, fellow members of his congregation, of which my colleague was the pastor. And they were taking the measure of the preacher, and he wasn't, dare I say, measuring up. And finally, this brother could take it no longer. And he went over to the table and he said to these four brothers, I have the idea that all of you are better men and more apt to teach and preach than our pastor. I'm going to go to the consistory and I'm going to say these brothers should be put on the preaching schedule. Now, I trust in the Salem, Emmanuel's United Reformed Church, we don't suffer that kind of roast preacher syndrome. And this is a text this morning that reminds us, as I put it just a moment ago, how we ought properly to take the measure of anyone who comes to us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ministers the word of the gospel. How should we regard? That's the question a minister of the word of God by the standard of the word of God. And there are three things that the apostle underscores here as to how the Corinthians were to do so. Firstly, he says, remember their office, who they are. What is their primary identity as called of God? The second thing he addresses is, What is required of them? The one thing needful, before and above all other things. There are many things that you desire to find in your pastor, but this is paramount. Without this, all of the other good qualities and features of who he is as a man in Christ pale by significance. What is required? And then lastly... How will he be judged? By whom and by what standard? First of all, who is the minister? The apostle uses very striking language in verse 1. He says, let a man so consider us, Apollos, Peter, Paul, anyone whose calling it is to bring the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ, to the people. They should regard us, he says, In two ways. Firstly, as servants of Christ, in relation to Christ, they are servants. But in respect to us, they should be considered, regarded as stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, consider those two things. The word the Apostle Paul uses here for servants is not the usual New Testament word. It's a word that by way of its original sense and meaning was not necessarily a compliment. It probably best is rendered even literally into English as an underling. A fellow or a person who is at the beck and call of another. In respect to whom, they're not the VIP. He is. As a matter of fact, the word for servant was used of slaves who would row these big ships across the Mediterranean. Sometimes they were triemes. That is, they had three, uh, you might say, levels of rowers. And the least of the least, the bottom tier, the basement slave rowers, were, this is the word, servants. I have a son, only one son, our eldest, who, after he graduated from Dort College, took a job temporarily for a year, and he had the lofty title of project manager. He worked for a law firm and a particular lawyer. And I asked him once, well, what is it, Joseph, that you're called upon to do? Anything and everything, he said. I'm a lackey. I'm like a busboy at the restaurant. I'm like a dishwasher in the kitchen." I'm a, as they put it colloquially, a gopher. I do the bidding, whatever it is, greater little, of my master. Well, so also with ministers. Christ and Christ alone is at the center. In relation to Christ, he's an underling. Servant. That's why Paul can say elsewhere to the Corinthian church, We have this treasure that is Christ and the gospel that is ours in Christ, deposited by my choosing in a jar of clay. It's the kind of pot you would buy at a Dollar General store. I once had it that our home was robbed, our broken into on a Sunday afternoon when we were at a fellow member of the congregation's home for lunch. And uh, I was puzzled as to why they stole our TV and some other things, some jewelry, and they rumbled through our, my sock drawer. They were strewn all about. I said to the detective, I said, what, what were they doing digging around in the uh, sock drawer? Oh, he said, that's where people hide their jewels. Thieves, and this was a professional thief, after we subsequently found out, they looked there first, the most unlikely place. So, I'm not saying anything unkind here about your pastor. I'm saying this about all pastors, myself included. As compared to the treasure, who is Christ, And the good news of his saving work for his people, the pastor should be regarded. And therefore you are being worldly, you Corinthians. When you elevate Apollos because he's such a great speaker. When you make a big fuss about Peter because he's your preferred minister of the word of God. All of your pastors throughout the whole history of this church, by God's grace are firstly, as to their identity in their office, servants of Christ. But I quickly hasten to add, they are not doormats, nor itching posts, because they have a lofty responsibility. They are also masters of the household, stewards given a trust by the owner of the house, The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He bought it with his own precious blood, and he's pleased to give to those who are his servants a big assignment. They're stewards, he says, of the mysteries of God. In Paul's language in his epistles, mystery or mysteries have to do with what God has made known now to us in these last days concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and the way of salvation through faith in him. The gospel. Of that gospel, they have been given a trust. There's a great book on preachers and preaching by John R.W. Stott called The Portrait of a Preacher. He says One thing a preacher is not, he's not a prophet in the sense of he comes with a word other than that word which he's been given in the scriptures. He has to have a text because he's a steward of a word he did not invent, author, or conjure up from his own imagination. Nor is he an apostle. He's a steward of the mysteries of the Lord Jesus Christ that are provided for us in this word. So day after day. Sunday after Sunday he is obliged to come to you not with something that he invented in his study but that which God first gave to him and trusted to him in the scriptures and his assignment is to pass it on to you just as he received it cutting no corners adding no new chapters Not cluttering it up with the latest news or the current of the present day, but the old, old story of Jesus Christ and of him crucified. You see, that brings me to the second thing. If that's true, if the identity of a minister is that he's to serve Christ, to be an underling of Christ, entrusted with the word of the gospel, the mysteries concerning Christ. Paul uses very striking language. Verse 2, therefore, moreover, on that account, it is required. This is not a suggestion. This is not wishful thinking. This is obligation. It belongs to the assignment of a steward, that one be found faithful. Actually, the language Paul uses here is roughly to be translated. The one thing that you need to look for and find in one who is a servant of Christ and a steward of the gospel is that he be a trustee, one entrusted, and faithful to his trust. Nothing but that, and that alone. The standard by which he is to be measured, now there are all kinds of other things that are important, that he loves his wife if married, that he cares for and manages his children well, How can you manage Christ's church if you're not faithful in the oversight of your own family? He's a man who loves the sheep because he speaks and ministers on behalf of the chief shepherd who loved them so much that he laid down his life for them. They're precious to Christ and therefore also to him. But his job description is, relatively speaking, kind of simple. Be faithful to your trust. Do that to which you have been called. As Paul says at the end of his life to Timothy, his spiritual son, you preach the word, not when it's convenient, when the sun is shining but you be ready in season and out of season in every circumstance and on all occasions to bring to my people because after all what voice do the sheep hear? They know the good shepherd and they recognize his voice and they follow him, so that the under-shepherd must be a mouthpiece who declares the glorious things of what Christ has done for his people to his sheep. Striking that later in this epistle, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul puts it this way, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. That's not out of the ordinary. That's not by way of exception. That's not something for which I should be especially commended. I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. I am obliged to do this. This is a job requirement second to none. On this issue, there can be no disputing. Woe is me. If I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? I may put that in more practical terms, congregation. When you pray for your pastor, as I trust you do, and you desire God's blessing upon his ministry that it prove faithful, You pray that he would be the kind of pastor who is zealous, conscientious, as I happen to know he is, whose one desire is to bring to you the word that Christ first brought to him and with which he has been entrusted. The landscape of Christ's church is littered with pastors, ministers of the word who don't get the one thing needful right. I heard a preacher the other day who was a feminist who, who turned the whole word of God, an account of creation in Genesis 1, on its head. Said, God lied, the serpent told the truth. That's shocking but it's a reality, sometimes even within the church. You pray that your pastor would be mindful of the fact that I'm a servant of Christ. That's my calling, to do everything and only the things he calls me to do, and that I be found faithful as a steward in my ministry of the word of God. And that leads me to the last thing, and it's this. By whom and how is it that he is to be judged? Now, your pastor said he was a little embarrassed when he preached from this text, a little hesitant when he said to you, as Paul says, not you, not me, not the court of public opinion, but God himself is the one who will ultimately render a judgment respecting my ministry. This is how he puts it. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But the one who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring, both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from whom? From God. He basically says, you know, the congregation could be the ultimate court of judgment, respecting a pastor's ministry. Its members, perhaps people more generally, a human court, He actually uses the language here that's judged, that's translated by a human court is actually by a human day. We have the idiom, don't we? So-and-so is going to have their day in court. Well, we all have as preachers, says the apostle, a court appointment. We'll have our day in court. Now, you have to be careful with this. Elders, congregants have every right to assess their pastor and maybe even speak a word of whether it be encouragement or perhaps if it legitimately is a word born of love. I remember one time a parishioner in a church I was pastoring as a youthful, zestful pastor, a dear mother of of the church, a sister in the Lord. She came to me after I preached the sermon and said, Pastor, you were harsh. Got my dukes up. (laughs) Who is she to tell me this? Went back to my study, reflected upon what she had said. And then I went to see her and said, you were absolutely right. You were spot on, as the English would say. I'm not suggesting, Paul is not suggesting. He rebuked Peter to his face when he went off the beaten track. That elders have no role in measuring the pastor and his work and labor, or even congregational members. But be careful. Remember, he's not your servant, he's Christ's servant. He's not your word, but the word Christ gave him. And he knows, and you want to pray hard, that he be aware of the fact that he answers ultimately to the one who called him to his holy office. Who will ultimately take the measure of his work. Whose words, well done, my good and faithful servant, when spoken by Christ himself, is the one thing that really matters. You know what that gives to a preacher? Two things. A holy fear. A holy fear. He's like Luther. It's not safe to go contrary to the word of God. I have to answer to the author of that word for what I have spoken. I don't have to answer to popular opinion, the current of the present day. I am in fear and in awe of Christ who is Lord of my conscience. But I'm also free. I have a holy freedom in my presentation of the gospel from the fear of men, of congregational critics who really are not well motivated. I don't answer ultimately to them for the word that I've spoken. I have both a holy fear of the one who will take the measure of my ministry at the end of its passing. And a holy freedom from a kind of fear of men that would steal from me the courage to speak the word just as Christ gave it to me. Even when it seems to them foolishness, a stumbling block, I preach the word just as Christ gave it to me to preach. So that congregation is how, as you celebrate and rejoice and give thanks to the Lord for the gift of your pastor, you should regard him in terms of his office, his calling, his judgment, and pray, God, that this Passage that he preached to you some years ago will continue to live large in his mind, shaping, governing, impelling him in all of his ministerial labors in this place. To God's praise and for your and my blessing and good. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gifts that Christ gives to his church and pastors and teachers. Grant to our pastor and teacher the confidence to know that as a servant of Christ, he's been entrusted with the mysteries of the gospel. Give him a burning and singular desire to be faithful to that stewardship. Give him the holy respect for Christ, that will govern him in his calling and set him at liberty from the fear of those who do not receive the word as it is in truth, the word of God, so that his ministry would be a fruitful and faithful ministry in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.